1: Gentlemen, boys, and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech grad. I'm a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He's a Virginia Tech grad and a Notre Dame fan. Mike, first question, courtesy of our good friend, Mr. Andrew Parker: uh, Is a Pop Tart really just breakfast ravioli?
0: Andrew, I love your support. Thanks for you know <laughs> listening to our show every week. I don't know what breakfast ravioli is I don't you know I don't know if that means it's like the king of all breakfasts, the pop-tart like I don't know what that means so I don't know no the answer is no I like I like pop-tarts I don't know if it's ravioli I I don't know love you Andrew but I you know don't have a clue I
1: I disagree vehemently um we we (laughs) We put out a request at the end of the last episode for those who did not listen um, or had not heard it or did not notice. Uh, we basically said the first person to email us a question once this podcast goes live, we will answer it on the air. Don't care what the question is. And sure enough, our good friend, our number one fan, Mr. Andrew Parker, emailed us and asked us this wonderful question. And Mike, you're freaking wrong. I want to tell you that right now. Oh, am I? Yes. Uh, think about what constitutes ravioli. It's a like a a carb crust kind of thing around, like, some other filling inside, and that is, by definition, a Pop-Tart. So, okay, yes, breakfast ravioli it is. I will not hear any other opinions on this matter.
0: It's not filled with meat and cheese like a normal ravioli? Um, you know, I don't know where to go with this.
1: I mean, you could put meat and cheese in breakfast, so it doesn't totally disqualify it, but i also can't think of any i mean a cannoli or i don't know some sort of maybe breakfast related dish that contains uh down here in texas we have kolaches i don't know i mean that's a german don't have a clue pastry. what that is there yeah it's like a pastry with like a sausage in it and sometimes you get like jalapeno or cheese or egg or different huh. things i don't know okay it's re- pretty revolutionary you should try one if you haven't had one in any case uh this is going to be a recurring segment that we're starting up um if you are the first person to email us a question after the podcast goes live, I don't care what the question is. We're going to answer it. We're going to find some way to do so, and you're going to probably lead off the next episode. I believe we're going to call the segment First Question. Yep. So uh, if you've got questions and you hear this right now, please send me a question as soon as you can, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com, and uh, Mike and I will come up with some answer for it. And I'll probably be right, and Mike will probably be wrong, as we found out here today.
0: That's how it works most of the time.
1: <laughs> Fair um mike second question how's everything going
0: hang in there buddy how are you
1: i'm all right man works crazy but you know finding time for the uh the good old basketball conference podcast it's the use
0: buddy it's the use for that work stuff
1: it is the use yeah no it's it's you know life gets all real and you start working then you know you get a dog and stuff is what i'm finding out so um yeah follow, follow me on twitter or instagram if you want to see cute doggy pics i've got those um Mike, we, we last week uh, we came out with an episode doing power rankings of the quarterback situations in the Atlantic Division. we got to talk about quarterback situations in the Coastal Division tonight. And um, we, we discussed a little bit before the show, not specifics about rankings, but just the Atlantic Division felt a lot more clean cut. There was really only like the four or five slots that we were in a bit of disagreement on, like which teams fit there. That's not the case on the Coastal um, there is a whole lot of turnover coastal quarterback situations um there's only two quarterbacks that return from last year from starting jobs in the coastal division and i think only one of them did the team really want them to return so uh we'll get to that here in just a second but there's a spoiler it's virginia yeah it's virginia um well, well it's virginia was never we'll get there in a second um in the at the very least, like there's a whole bunch of turnover. There's a whole lot of questions. There's people transferring in. There's just a whole bunch of inexperience and turnover from last year's quarterback situations. So we're gonna have a little bit of turnover here, just so that we remember what we did last time. We started from seven, worked our way towards the top. You know, towards the the very best situation of the division. Last week we had Boston College at seven, Wake Forest at six. Four and five, Clemson, NC State. Pick your order. Number three, Syracuse. Two, Florida State. Number one, Louisville. We're gonna do the same this week from the coast. We're gonna start from the bottom, and um, you've already got the spoiler on this one. But Mike, who is the number seven? You know, the worst quarterback situation right now in the coastal in your mind.
0: Uh, it's got to be Virginia. And, you know, unfortunately for Virginia, they're returning Kirk Benkert. And they're actually lucky at this point that they're returning Kirk Benkert. It was a guy that they weren't necessarily interested in having as a starter all last season, obviously. He was replaced by Matt Johns. Benkert was batting a little bit of injury, but, you know, he's a guy through for 2,500 yards, 21 touchdowns. But he did throw 11 interceptions. Ultimately, because of the turnovers, because he was struggling with some injury uh, here and there throughout the season, he was replaced by Matt Johns, who was the veteran there at Virginia, who has since graduated and moved on. So what does Virginia do behind Kurt Benkert for this upcoming season? They bring in Missouri transfer Marvin Zanders, or Marvin Zonders. Either way, he's no longer on the team because he was academically ineligible. So he's not going to be a part of the program. So Virginia is left with no real answer at the backup quarterback position if Kurt Benkert, once again, is either ineffective or gets injured. The Cavaliers are in a lot of trouble here. I'm not really sure what they're going to do, especially if Kurt gets hurt. He's not that great of a quarterback. He's got a decent arm. Uh, it's going to be an interesting situation. I liken Kurt Benkert a lot to Patrick Tolles at Boston College last year. I think it's a very similar situation. A guy who transfers in from another program had okay success, but was never really great. That's what you got here with Kurt Benkert at Virginia. And Bronco Mendenhall, you know, for a guy who's you know, trying to turn a program around, heading into year two after a really dismal year one there, going two and ten. Virginia's in a lot of trouble here heading into the 2017 season as, you know, they're, they have to place their confidence in a guy in Kurt Benkert who couldn't even hold the starting job for all of last season. And now, all of a sudden, you don't even have a backup to him as planned with Missouri transfer Marvin Sanders. What are you going to do? So I think Virginia sitting at number seven is the way you have to go here, and I'm pretty confident in that.
1: I'm with you. I I fought a little bit with my number seven, number six picks. Not really sure how I think about them. I think the biggest reason I'm going to put Virginia at number seven is kind of something that you were alluding to is that Kurt Benkert has a pretty low ceiling. Um, I think optimal Kurt Benkert is maybe, maybe the fifth best quarterback in the division. Like, this is, there is not a whole lot of room for improvement based on what we saw. Um, Barely over 56% passing last year, as you mentioned. 21 touchdowns, 11 picks. That's a lot, of, a lot of picks. He transferred in from East Carolina, where he barely played prior to 2016. Um, I, I don't get the warm fuzzies about this, this situation at all. Uh, they also have a transfer from Texas that came in, Matthew Merrick. Uh, he has no college experience. He never played at Texas. Now is transferred to Virginia. I can't really place any exceptional value on him. Obviously, he was good enough in high school to get recruited by Texas, but that's about the most I can say about him. And so, um, I, yeah, Kurt Benkert, I think even though he is one of only two returning starters, I think you look at what he did last year, sometimes it, it you know, it, as much in college as we talk about how much returning talent you have and, that, and the more you have, that's a good thing, there are cases where having guys return is not a good thing. And I think this is one of those cases where the ceiling is just low enough on Kurt Benkert that this is a bad situation for Virginia. Now they've lost Smoke Mizell out of their offense. I don't know how they're going to move the ball. Um, This is going to be a a very uphill challenge for uh, Bronco Mendenhall and his staff in Charlottesville.
0: So that's our number seven team. We're in, you know, solid agreement there, I'd say, just considering how bad that situation is going to be. So I guess we'll move on to number six, Joey. My number six team is North Carolina. North Carolina, of course, Uh, You lose Mitch Trubisky the year before that. You got Marquise Williams, and he moved on to the NFL. You got Trubisky, of course, moving on to the NFL as well. So what do you have now at North Carolina? Well, you have Brandon Harris coming in, transferring from LSU. And, yes, it's that same Brandon Harris who's only completing, what, around 54% of his passes over his career. Couldn't win the starting job at LSU last year. uh, Was kind of axed after two games. LSU is in a really – interesting scenario there for Brandon Harris because Brandon Harris is a guy who was pretty highly touted coming out of high school a guy who you know Les Miles was pretty confident as a quarterback enough to have him start in 2015 throw for 2100 yards only 13 touchdowns more of a runner than a passer he's never been that efficient throwing the football a real game manager of sorts and now you're going to throw him into this North Carolina mix with Larry Fedora here transferring and You know you got Brandon Harris here right away. He's eligible. He's a guy who could start. You got Chaz Surratt, who's in the mix. Logan Bird, Nathan Elliott, a bunch of guys who don't really have any experience whatsoever behind them. But the reason why you give North Carolina a slight edge over Virginia is because if the starter happens to be Brandon Harris, at least you know he's a he's a guy who has taken FBS snaps before, a, a proven commodity what kind of commodity he is, you know, we'll leave that up we'll leave that up to the listeners. Nobody's that crazy about Brandon Harris, the passer, but at least you know he has game experience and that's that's tangible there and they got a lot of talent there behind him. Chad Surratt, really talented kid. Logan Bird, a guy who can come in. He could start right away too. He's definitely in the mix as well. Nathan Elliott, maybe a long shot to win the quarterback job, but a guy who could fill in as well. So North Carolina has the depth that Virginia doesn't have and that's why I put them slightly ahead of the Cavaliers, but you know, I think North Carolina is going to have to play well at the quarterback position if they want an opportunity to be in the mix in the Coastal once again, because you can't really be relying on that defense as we've seen in years past. I mean, they've improved, but they've really struggled on that defensive side of the ball. They've been so proficient on offense that it's kind of you know, um, cleansed those ills. And I- I'm not sure they're in a situation now with Brandon Harris potentially being the starting quarterback there, where you're looking at North Carolina as a real serious player in the Coastal Division, but we'll have to see how it plays out.
1: I think I would disagree with you that North Carolina has some semblance of depth here. Um, so like Virginia, they've only got one quarterback on the roster that has taken an FBS snap as far as I can tell, and that is, of course, Brandon Harris. Um, they've got Logan Byrd, Ch- Chaz Surratt, both guys that are you know have... Maybe some different styles. Um, I think Chad Surratt maybe fits the North Carolina mold of, you know, Larry Fedora's offense a little better than Logan Bird does. Decent rated recruits, decent offer lists, that's fine. But no experience at the college level, and that at that point becomes a total crapshoot. I'm going to put uh, North Carolina at number six above Virginia along with you because of the ceiling, I think, that Brandon Harris has relative to Kurt Benkert. Um Again, as you mentioned, not a great passer. Um, he has completed, I don't know, under 54% of his passes in his career. That's 346 attempts. Um, he does a decent job of not turning the ball over. He has thrown 10 picks across those 350 attempts, which is not great. Um, but as you mentioned, he also brings the mobility aspect to it. In 2015, starting quarterback of LSU had a, you know 226 yards, four touchdowns on the ground, I think that fits well with Larry Fedora's offense, especially. I think that's going to be the focus. I think he also has a couple more weapons to utilize than Virginia will. Um, It's not a great situation at at North Carolina, though, and and we've talked a little bit, and I think we're kind of in agreement that North Carolina might low-key be kind of trash this year. Um, They've got a lot to replace in the way of basically their entire offensive production yards and touchdowns-wise and all that, plus uh, there, there's other replacements that we'll talk about at a later date that I think have equally, if not a, an even greater impact on what that team is. But I'm with you, North Carolina number six, and I promise that as much as we agree on the first two, we're, we're going to get into some disagreement here not, not, not long afterwards. Um, Mike, at number five, I think this is maybe the last one that we agree upon in this division uh, go ahead and tell us who you got, and I'm pretty sure I got the same team.
0: Yeah, number five for me is Pittsburgh, and the reason why Pittsburgh is number five for me is because you have to replace a guy in Nate Peterman who you've been able to rely upon over the past two or three seasons, and a guy who's been in there, he's been in the mix, he's, he's been a very efficient quarterback for you. Uh, you know, you're going from that to Max Brown, everybody would assume, at the quarterback position for Pittsburgh, and Max Brown he is the he is the former USC quote unquote standout was supposed to be the next big guy, but you know really only threw for about 670 yards for them over the course of three seasons. Uh, completed 67 percent of his passes two years ago on 12 attempts, and you're looking at Max Brown and you're thinking, okay, he's going to be the guy going into 2016, and then you know of course lost his starting job um, about. I don't know, about a quarter of the way through the season, completed about 63 percent of his passes last year, only two touchdowns and two picks. So Max Brown now leaves USC. He's going to a better situation now at Pittsburgh for him, a place where, you know, he believes that he'll be able to start. And, you know, the Panthers, they've really prided themselves on running the football and using that run to set up the play-action pass. That's, you know, what they had with James Conner and Quadriolison and Quadri Henderson even last year at the wide receiver position. He ran the ball really well for them out of the slot, and that's what Pittsburgh was using to move the ball on the ground to set up the pass through the air with Nate Peterman. The issue now is that you lose James Conner, a former 2,000-yard rusher. You don't have him anymore. You still have Quadri Allison, who really was kind of a non-factor last year in the running game when James Conner came back. You still have Quadri Henderson, but You know, Max Brown, he's got his work cut out for him if he's indeed the guy. Uh, He's competing against a talented redshirt freshman, Thomas McVitie. He's a guy who could be the starter as well, especially if Max Brown struggles. I mean, we've seen that happen before. It's not out of the realm of possibility that, you know, he comes in and either A, he doesn't pick up the offense quickly enough, or B, he's just not the guy that Pittsburgh was hoping for him to be. And if that's the case, Pittsburgh's going to roll with Thomas McVitie. But, you know, the fact that Max Brown came out of high school was as highly touted as he was and things just didn't really work out at USC, you know, the upside is there and the potential is there with Max Brown. Uh, But to kind of anoint Max Brown as the chosen one there at Pittsburgh for one season, you know, that's a tough sell for me. So I got Pittsburgh sitting there because, you know, I like Max Brown more than I like Kurt Benkert, more than I like Brandon Harris at North Carolina. And that's why they're sitting there for me Uh, as the number five team in the ACC Coastal for the quarterback position.
1: As I said, I agree here. I've got Max Brown in Pittsburgh at number five as well. Um, You mentioned he transferred from USC. I mean, he threw a couple passes the last, you know, 2014, 2015, and then 2016 he started out the year as a starter. He was the team's primary starter in a 52-6 loss to Alabama, a 27-10 loss to Stanford, and a win over Utah State. Before being replaced by uh, just a, you know, random potential Heisman candidate named Sam Darnold. But, um, yeah, 63% oh, complete. Yeah, that yeah him. Um, you've, you might have heard of him. Um, around a 63% completion, 474, two touchdowns, two picks. Um, not particularly confidence-inspiring. I mean... Again, a guy who was recruited by USC, so you assume there's something there. He's also got weapons around him. As you mentioned, Quadri Allison, Quadri Henderson, and probably three other guys in Quadri that we're not really aware of yet. A lot um, of Quadris. As I mentioned with North Carolina, and I kind of alluded to a little bit, one of the biggest things I'm concerned about here is the loss of Matt Canada. Um, The offensive coordinator at Pitt, who last year turned that offense into like a fascinating, just wrecking crew of – chaos that was just a whole lot of fun to watch and the ball just went every which way and defenses had no clue what was going on um the the thing that I noticed though looking at the depth chart the only other quarterback that has any experience at Pittsburgh was Ben DiNucci he took over for Nate Peterman as he got hurt in the bowl game forgot about Ben DiNucci yeah this is against Northwestern where he went three for nine for 16 yards a touchdown and two picks um when you throw nine passes and two of them are completed to the other team, that's not a great look. Um, there's at least some level of depth, but I think the bigger point here, Mike, with Pittsburgh is that under Narduzzi so far, QB recruiting has not been good. Um, there's a reason that they're taking in like the USC cast-off transfer to, to be in the quarterback situation, and... Um, I that's something that Pittsburgh's going to have to rectify is is recruit and coach up a homegrown quarterback. Because if not, as good as this offense was in 2016, I think it's going to regress really, really quickly under different directions. And so something really to keep an eye on. I'm with you. I've got Pittsburgh at number five, and I think that's where our agreements stop.
0: Yeah, and I was going to say real quick, uh, it's not like they didn't have time to think of a replacement or contingency plan for when Nate Peterman left school. I mean, they had ample amount of time from when Arduzzi's gotten there to Pittsburgh. And, you know, now you're sitting here entering your third year and, you know, you need a quarterback. So it'll be an interesting scenario here, especially if if Max Brown doesn't end up panning out for Pittsburgh. I think it's going to be tough sledding for them offensively.
1: So, so far, we're in agreement. We've got Virginia at number seven, North Carolina number six, Pittsburgh number five. So this is, Mike, where I start to get into. I guess a personal conundrum of like how much do I value experience over like potential and, you know, like a proven quantity that is average to below average versus like a totally unproven guy who might be decent. Um, The four schools we have left. uh, So from South to North, we've got Miami, Georgia tech, Duke and Virginia tech. The only one of those that returns a quarterback is Duke, Daniel Jones, The other three, we're kind of working with varying levels of unknown quantities. Who are you going with as your number four quarterback situation here in the Coastal?
0: My number four quarterback position in the Coastal is Georgia Tech. I've thrown this around quite a bit, Joey. You and I were kind of talking about we're bouncing rankings back and forth a little bit before we started just – to make sure we didn't have exactly the same thing. And I told you, you know, the, the final three teams in the Coastal I was pretty set on, and these four I was really having a lot of trouble ranking. So I'm going to go with Georgia Tech. It's tough because they're replacing a guy in Justin Thomas who did everything for that offense over three and four seasons, right? I mean, he was the guy behind center commanding everything, right? Justin Thomas gets hurt late last year. Matthew Jordan comes in in the Virginia Tech game, wins a huge game on the road in Blacksburg, shows the potential that he has to lead the offense and do everything that Paul Johnson wants him to do. Not the passer that Justin Thomas was. You'll die on that hill, Joey, right? That Justin Thomas is a better passer than we all give him credit for, right?
1: Matthew Jordan... You will not not convince me otherwise. Right. Matthew Jordan,
0: but I, I... think we're in agreement here as well Matthew Jordan is not the passer that Justin Thomas is that's clear that
1: that you will also not convince me of otherwise
0: right so Matthew Jordan of course foot injury in the spring his status kind of up in the air at this point we should see a lot of him this season I don't think it's a situation now correct me if I'm wrong Joey I don't think it's a situation at Georgia Tech where everybody's afraid that Matthew Jordan isn't going to play at all um, I think that you know he's expected to get playing time.
1: The the assumption is that he and all the other backups will be healthy come week one.
0: So you have him available. Taquan Marshall, a guy who's a converted position player, right? Extremely fast. A guy who can. A guy who's you know been the been a quarterback there now for a couple of years as a backup. So he's got experience. He understands the offense in his role as a running back, and his role as a quarterback as well. I would
1: say say same style as Justin Thomas, less physical talent with Take-One Marshall.
0: So that's what you're dealing with at Georgia Tech, right? So the passing game is obviously going to take a step back. It stands to reason. But really with Georgia Tech, you know, I don't need to tell you, Joey, but the offense, I mean, it's an option running team. The pass has always been a change of pace type play for them. Justin Thomas threw the ball more than most at the quarterback position over the last few seasons. Paul Johnson usually doesn't throw the ball as much as he did with Justin Thomas. And now you have a situation with Matthew Jordan, not a great thrower, Taquan Marshall, converted running back. That's what you got at the quarterback position. But for Georgia Tech, that's all you need. So you've got a few guys in there that know the system, that are going to be able to take snaps from behind center and run the offense. And for Paul Johnson, he's going to be extremely comfortable with what he's got there. So I got Georgia Tech at number three, or at number four, excuse me. You know, they're comfortable with what they have at the quarterback position, but the skill sets are extremely limited as well. So that's kind of where the balance comes in. I think the ceiling is higher with other programs in the Coastal Division at the quarterback position than it is at Georgia Tech, but you have guys there that can run the offense to perfection, and that's, that's what Paul Johnson needs.
1: I disagree with Georgia Tech at number four. I do agree that there are basically any of these other schools might have higher ceilings, um, at least in the context of 2017. Um, I'll get to Georgia Tech here in a little bit. Number four for me, um, this is not a direct shot at you, Mike, for picking Georgia Tech at number four, but I got Virginia Tech at number four. Um, So Virginia Tech, and again, this is where I, I, last week I was talking a lot about how I preferred experience to non-experience, um, Virginia Tech does not return a single player on the roster except for I think there was a, a fullback or something that threw a pass last year. There's basically nobody on Virginia Tech's roster right now that has a, an, a passing attempt at the college level. Stephen However Peoples, this, man. Yeah, exactly. Hey, hey, I mean, if that's who we're going with, we can re-rank him. But um, right now it's assumed that Josh Jackson is the, the guy at Virginia Tech, redshirt freshman, pretty highly thought of uh, dual threat quarterback. We also are aware that uh, Justin Fuente's system on offense is pretty adaptable to quarterbacks. It does not take a lot of marinating, a lot of learning time, you know, the ramp-up time. That's fine. Um, I'm putting Virginia Tech at number four because of the much higher ceiling I see there versus the other three programs, Virginia, North Carolina, and Pittsburgh. But also just like the general uncertainty, lack of experience, you know, again, there is not a single returning pass attempt on this roster. And so until I'm definitively proven otherwise, I just can't put them up with somewhat experienced backups that are also in the conference um, or even a returning starter that's in the conference that has not shown himself to be a a kind of a lame quarterback. I'm going to put that nicely. So, um, I got Virginia Tech at number four. Y'all got problems with that? Hokie Nation, at me, at FGRS Joey on Twitter.
0: At him um, all day, guys. Bring Adam. it. I don't care. Bring it. I'm
1: good with it. I'm fine. I, I'm happy with who I got there. So, Mike, you got Georgia Tech number four. I got Virginia Tech number four. you got number three?
0: Number three, I have Virginia Tech. So, whoa.
1: Mm, Switching okay. it
0: up, Okay. So Virginia Tech, to your point, doesn't have a guy on the roster who has attempted an FBS pass at the quarterback position heading into the season. They have Josh Jackson, former four-star recruit, dual threat, all the tools, looked good in the spring game. You got Hendon Hooker, true freshman, quarterback recruit, highly thought of, highly recruited, came in, looked great in the spring game, true freshman, can do everything, run and throw the football. I'm giving the edge to Josh Jackson because of experience. But, hey, that's experience in the offense as a backup, not experience on the field. So, really, it's a wild card at this point. And Justin Fuente won't tell you anyway. Nebraska transfer A.J. Bush, right? He' pretty terrible passer. He's really improved his mechanics since arriving in Blacksburg. The way I see it, if Josh Jackson wins a quarterback job, my guess is that A.J. Bush you know, kind of sits there as the primary backup with Hendon Hooker taking a redshirt year, I think that's the ideal situation for Virginia Tech if Hendon Hooker is not ready. Other than that, Virginia Tech has a bunch of depth options further down the depth chart that won't even factor in. So it's a three-horse race at this point. For the Hokies, I think because of the offensive system at the quarterback position, especially at Virginia Tech, it's more of a a quick-read offense, um it's you know catch the snap quick pass out to the outside quick pass to a running back out of the backfield they're quick reads they're not difficult reads to make it's not anywhere close to a pro system in that regard I think that's why Gerard Evans fell off you know aside from the mechanical issues that's why he really wasn't on anybody's draft board it's not a great offense to prepare for the professional game in. It's a spread system, you're going to throw the ball a ton, but it's a quick read offense, so as far as reading reading through your progressions and that sort of thing, you you know, it's it's easier for a younger quarterback to adapt with Justin Fuente's system than it would be for a professional system and you know, that's why you're at the college level, right? But you got a couple of quarterbacks there who are highly highly sought after, highly touted recruits that I think could be impact players right away in Blacksburg. And it could be a little bit of bias there that I have Virginia Tech at number three. But I think the talent is there both at a starter and depth perspective. And that's why I have them at number three.
1: Fair enough. I'll allow it. I got them at number four. It's cool. Uh, n- number three on my list, uh, I've got the Miami Hurricanes. Um, so this is kind of an interesting situation. The the big returning guy on the roster here is Malik Rozier or Rozier or Rosier or who knows. Um, Rose he this- Rose. Yeah, something like that. I'm guessing that's something from hip-hop culture. I'm not aware. Um, he is hes the same age as Brad Kaya. Uh, Those the same recruiting class. He redshirted as a freshman, so there was a year of separation, so he's a junior this fall. He served his backup duty uh, last year primarily, also played in 2015 in their crazy last-second kickoff return touchdown win over Duke that wasn't actually a kickoff return touchdown, but we're not going to talk about that. Um Last year, I mean, about 50% passing, 370 yards, two touchdowns, three picks. I mean, he was the only other guy on the roster to throw a pass in 2016. So he is the obvious candidate returning um, on the roster. The other guy that has – I know that Cam Underwood in particular has been on here and has talked a lot about and is really excited about is Nikosi Perry. Um, dual threat, true freshman guy. So he's just coming out of high school, got a whole lot of attention, highly thought of recruit, can do a whole lot of things. Had offers from Auburn, Virginia Tech, Georgia, several other top-notch programs, um, and in reality, I this struck me as interesting because if Mark Richt went with Nikosi Perry, it would be kind of the first time that I can remember since like DJ Shockley at Georgia that he had a, like a true dual-threat quarterback. That's in a throwback. That,
0: system. that is a throwback, DJ Shockley. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's it's been a minute. He does like a radio. I think he does like sideline stuff for the Falcons games or something now. I don't know. He's, he's been out for a long time, but um, it reminded me actually of the situation at Louisville um, where Bobby Petrino for the longest time ran a straight pro style drop back gunslinger pocket passing offense. And now in his second stint at Louisville has all of a sudden been using dual threat quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson, Reggie Bonifon, Jawan pass guys like this, adding a totally different element to his offense. And if if Mark Richt wants to go with Nikosi Perry, he could do that. Alternatively, if he wanted to go that route, he could use Nikosi Perry to do it. So kind of a, a question of is that what he wants to go with. I don't know. I'm going to lean Malik Rozier takes the job here, just being the guy that has experience. I think especially coming out the gate, you know, Miami initially starting out the season, I think you start with Malik Rozier and maybe work in Nikosi Perry, a lot of what uh, Clemson did in 2014 with Cole Stout and Deshaun Watson. Um, I would also be remiss, Mike, if I didn't mention uh, well-known and well-revered Miami quarterback and former Texas Tech transfer uh, Vincent Testaverde, uh, otherwise known as Vinny Testaverde Jr. He has never thrown a college pass um, and is mostly making it on name alone, I'm pretty sure. So, But just so that you know, he's there and maybe, maybe he gets called on, who knows. But uh, Miami is number three on my coastal quarterback situation list.
0: So Malik Rozier has the experience in the system, right? And this is why I have Miami at number two. So you have a guy who did sit behind Brad Kaya, so let's not pretend like Malik Rozier is out here getting a bunch of snaps. He wasn't. But he's got some experience, right, and some talent. So at the very least, if Miami decides to go with him, he's taken a college snap before, right? He's a, he's a pro-style quarterback who's taken a college snap in the Coastal Division. That's huge. I mean, we're not seeing a lot of that, Joey. So, you know, personally, I think Nicozy Perry is the guy who should win the starting quarterback job because of the upside he has. And, you know, if he doesn't win the starting quarterback job, you know, I think he's a guy who's going to get a lot of playing time as the season wears on. But this is a run first team with Mark Walton and that offensive line. I mean, the offensive line strengths have never been pass protection. Ask Brad Kaya. He's really thrilled he's not behind center anymore, right?
1: He's still recovering.
0: Still recovering, yeah. Uh, still, saw him at the local rehab center, right? So, <laughs> Mark Walton, run the football, right? That's what Miami's going to rely on. And whether it's Rozier or Nicosi Perry, you're going to try to break either of them into a more comfortable role as a full-time starting quarterback with that running game of Mark Walton and Miami's defense, which is improving. So... It's interesting, right, because Miami's in this situation now where Mark Rick came in last year. He wasn't able to pull his guy Jacob Eason from Georgia, who we all thought would be the guy to replace Brad Kaya should Jacob Eason end up going from Georgia and flipping to Miami. Of course, that didn't happen. Now he's doing great things for the Bulldogs. Eh. We'll be doing great things for the Bulldogs. He was okay last Eh. year. Eh. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Anyway, anyways, he's got he's got a pro style body and a big arm, so he might be good. Anyway, Mark Richt would love have loved to, the battle. Yeah, Mark Richt would have loved to have had him at Miami right now, but he's got Nikozy Perry. If Nikozy Perry ends up being really good, all the better for Miami. It works out in the end. But I think Malik Rosier will at least start the season as QB one. But you know they got a lot of talent there at that position, and that's why I have them at number two because you know you could mix and match between them and Virginia Tech as far as these rankings are concerned in my eyes but Miami's got a guy who's taken a snap in a college game before and that's why they're ahead of slightly ahead of Virginia Tech in my eyes
1: yeah that is a hot commodity in the coastal going into this year uh, which is why I have Georgia Tech at number two um, so as you referred to earlier Georgia Tech looking at Matthew Jordan as the starter he's he's been kind of the backup the last couple years uh, the primary backup to Justin Thomas 2015 2016. Uh, As you mentioned, he led the team to the inconceivable victory in Blacksburg last year over Virginia Tech. Um, A totally different style of player than Justin Thomas was for the last three years. Not as good of a passer at all. Different style of runner. More comfortable between the tackles. Not as fast. uh, Much bigger. Kind of just totally different player. Taquan Marshall also there. As you mentioned, uh, I, I told you that he's the same style as Justin Thomas, just not as physically gifted. I would also mention there's two other guys that, for all we know, could find some way to factor in, and that's Jay Jones and Lucas Johnson. Um, Jay Jones, probably the single most athletic guy in here, maybe the the most upside in terms of uh, potential of what he could bring to the field, and then Lucas Johnson, by far the best passer of the group. Um, And so what you end up with here is that you've got four guys, a couple of redshirt freshmen, a couple of older guys, juniors, that... All have totally different styles and skill sets that could be deployed in any given way, and I mean, as much as it's it's weird to look at a team and think that there are various options at quarterback that could bring various things to the table. Like that's kind of what we're looking at with Georgia Tech. Um, I I really do think that as if you look at a four deep of any team in the country at quarterback, this is probably about as high of a floor as you're going to get. I think any of these guys put into a game would be able to manage themselves, you know, they wouldn't just totally panic and, and freak out. I I mean, I think what you're going to end up seeing is Matthew Jordan starting. I think Taquan Marshall is going to get moved back to a back, try to get the ball in his hands a little bit. And then Jay Jones and maybe Lucas Johnson at times in kind of some backup duty, change of pace type duty. Um, I mostly put Georgia tech at number two because we've seen Matthew Jordan at quarterback. He seems very comfortable in the offense Um, He's won big-time games in big-time environments. I I mean, that's what I look to as somebody that's got a bit of a track record of doing something is better than what I've seen at Miami with a backup who just randomly won a a game in fluke fashion against Duke or Virginia Tech where there's just no returning experience. So I'll put Georgia Tech at number two. I think it's totally fair they might fall down by the, the middle of the season even as we Really get heavy experience with what this unit is able to do, but right now what I know about them and how I how comfortable I feel with them, I'm putting them at number two here in the coastal. That's
0: cool. You know, you want to put them at number two. <laughs> want, to put, want to put your school at number two? That's cool.
1: That's uh, you yeah, know, man. hey man, feels a little biased. It's but, you know,
0: it's your podcast too. You know, <laughs> um.
1: <laughs> um, I mean, we're also at a point in the coastal where. I feel like the team that finds the best quarterback play is gonna be the team that wins the, the division. It's, like, a freaking,
0: it's a freaking bloodbath in the coastal. I mean, it is. It's we can't there, pretend like it's not right.
1: There are about four or five teams right here that are just entirely volatile based on how good their quarterbacks are. Um, I think Miami, in particular, is the one that I look at. Is like they're either like an eleven and one team or like a seven and five team based on. How acceptable their quarterback play is well you think about it too, and what
0: we'll get into this in a later podcast, but they released the you know the media released their you know preseason standings for the ACC Miami received the most first place votes they were ranked as the number one team in the coastal division Virginia Tech was number two uh, Georgia Tech third I believe sounds right so the The team that's returning the most quarterback experience there is Georgia Tech. In fact, they're returning the most experience. Period on offense or defense. Uh, mm-hmm. You know we've referenced Bill Connolly multiple times. You know Georgia Tech returning the most production there on offense or defense. They're third in the coastal. It's all about quarterback upside, according to the to the media poll. You're looking at Miami over a hundred first place votes. Nobody has a clue who the quarterback's going to be. Virginia Tech. We think it'll be Josh Jackson. Nobody has a clue who or what the quarterback's going to be. Are they going to be any good mm-hmm. whatsoever? And you're dealing with the same thing at Miami. Georgia Tech, at least you know what you got. So I get it with them at number two. You know, who knows? It's just the Coastal's a mess. I mean, it's going to be impossible to predict, at least preseason. I mean, we need to see some games before we have any sort of idea what these teams are capable of in this division.
1: That's, that's basically where I'm at with Georgia Tech, is knowing generally what the worst case is and comparing that with maybe some of the other teams. But, again, you can kind of slice this up however you want to. But, Mike, there's one other team we haven't talked about yet, and I don't know that either of us are going to be able to believe that we're calling this the single best situation of the quarterbacks in the Coastal Division, but let's hear it. You've got Duke at number one in the division. I, I,
0: I do, and I'm trying to rationalize this as best as I can because it's Duke you know, it's, this is tough for me, Mm -hmm. but I really like Daniel Jones, right? He was a true freshman last year. All his running backs were hurt. Three out of his five starting offensive linemen were hurt, and he completed 63% of his passes Threw for 2,800 yards, 16 touchdowns, nine picks. He was really good. I mean, Duke was horrible last year. The one bright spot, Daniel Jones stepping in as a true freshman, completely thrown into the fire. We ha- had no idea what to expect out of Daniel Jones. The anticipated starter, Thomas Cirk blew out his Achilles for like the umpteenth time. He's always hurt. You know, he was riding a scooter or whatever and, you know, blew out both Achilles or whatever he did. Daniel Jones, back in the mix, right? Here he comes. True freshman. What do you got? You got a decent quarterback. Duke is returning the best quarterback in the Coastal Division as it currently stands. The only guy in the Coastal Division right now you can trust at the quarterback position to produce and that was with a horrible running game and a horrible offensive line mostly due to injury duke's always going to be a good team with david cutcliffe they're always going to be hanging around even when their record might say otherwise they're always going to be competitive you know duke might be down and only have you know three wins late into november early december but they're never an easy game to prepare for because Coach Cutcliffe always has them so well prepared. I think Daniel Jones is ready to take that next step. I have a really hard time believing that Daniel Jones is going to take a step back. I think he's a guy that, you know, we've talked about this, actually gone back and forth on social media about this. He's a guy who's an under-the-radar, all-ACC type quarterback, and it's hard to believe because he's Starting quarterback at Duke, but that's what he is, and that's why you got to put Duke at the top, in my opinion. He's the best returning quarterback in the Coastal Division. They also have Quentin Harris, who's a young, talented quarterback sitting behind him. Who, you know, threw three pass attempts last year, so you don't really know what you have in him either. But you know, for Duke to be number one on the list, it has to be because of their production they're returning, and that's what you got, Daniel Jones.
1: As you mentioned, Duke might be really bad, but I would tell you that as bad as Duke can get they always have bigger problems in quarterback play under David Cutcliffe. I mean, you can always trust that they're going to have an acceptable quarterback situation. That's, you know, not causing them as big of problems as other things on the team. And Daniel Jones, I mean, again, as you mentioned, true freshman, 63% completion, 16 touchdowns, nine interceptions, you know, 2,800 plus yards had almost 500 yards and seven touchdowns on the ground. Um, That's a true freshman right there with Duke where he's not surrounded by a load of talent not to mention, as as you said, the the injuries that he was, you know, kind of faced with dealing with as well. Um, again, kind of a weird situation where almost the entire division is losing quarterbacks or bringing in transfers that have major questions at other stops. But ultimately, Daniel Jones is the the most sure thing in this division. And as you mentioned, I I completely agree. Uh, low key, like third-team All-ACC candidate and maybe almost favorite to do that unless somebody else really just jumps off the page. It's
0: got to be one of these freshmen at Virginia Tech, Miami. It's got to be somebody like that who all of a sudden comes out of nowhere and is that guy behind, uh, behind a guy like Lamar Jackson at Louisville. And, you know, you see the talent that they have there. And, you know, Daniel Jones has to be the candidate for the third quarterback behind Jackson and Francois. He has to be. I don't, I don't think I'd
1: be shocked if all three, you know, the first third, first second and third team all ACC quarterbacks came out of the uh, Atlantic with Eric Dungey and Ryan Finley behind Jackson and Francois. But I mean, it, this is as much of a threat as you'll ever see from a Duke quarterback in terms of you know all ACC potential. Um, Daniel Jones has another at least two more years, probably three, to continue marinating in the system, getting even better. And unless there's some major sophomore slump where he just really regressed from what he saw last year, I mean, he, he is the class of the Coastal right now in terms of quarterback play, and... Maybe he gets unseated sometime this year by somebody else, but for now this is the most sure thing, and there's a lot of really positive things to point towards in terms of what Daniel Jones brings to Duke.
0: It's surprising because it's a quarterback at Duke, but this kid's extremely talented, much more talented Mm -hmm. than I think anybody expected him to be when all of a sudden Duke was rolling with him as their starter when Thomas Zirk got hurt in the offseason last year. It was, wow, we're starting a true freshman. Let's see what we got. And he was really good.
1: Yeah, you heard the Thomas Cirk injury, and I think I kind of remember discussing, like, man, Duke might not win a game. Like, there is nothing there. And then Daniel Jones all of a sudden steps in and, you know, is able to handle himself. I don't know how much he – I mean, he, he certainly won a couple of games, you know, playing really well, but he also made a point not to lose games. Um, he threw five interceptions against Virginia. He threw four in the other 11 games that he played. Like, that's one awful game from a freshman that you can't blame him that badly for. And 11 games of pretty exceptionally clean play. I mean, he beat an in-state rival against North Carolina. He went to Notre Dame and won that game in South Bend. Like, there is all sorts of positives to point towards a Daniel Jones. Can't say enough good stuff about him. Duke, number one quarterback situation in the Coastal here. In that Notre Dame game specifically,
0: he threw for 290 yards and three touchdowns. In a game that I saw, the Virginia Tech game, that was down in Durham, ran for 99 yards on the ground and two scores, willed them back into that game. Virginia Tech looked like they were going to run away with it. Uh, Ultimately, only ended up winning 24-21. I mean, this kid's the real deal, and that's why Duke's number one in the Coastal at the the
1: quarterback position. I can't believe we're saying it. I can't emphasize enough, Mike. He was 75% completion for almost 300 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick as a true freshman in South Bend against Notre Dame.
0: Bad Notre Dame team doesn't matter. He's a true freshman.
1: Don't, don't care how bad Brian Van Gorder's defense was at that point. Daniel Jones took it to him, and that is exceptional to true freshman. All right. So to recap, we had the same 7, 6, and 5. That's Virginia, North Carolina, and Pittsburgh. Number four, you had Georgia Tech. I had Virginia Tech. Uh, number three, you had Virginia Tech. I had Miami. Number two, you had Miami. I had Georgia Tech. I'm, you had Miami number two, right? I did. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I started losing track here. And number one, we both had Duke, and so keep a good recording of this because you'll want to play it later in the year when Duke has like the third or fourth best quarterback in the, in the division. But that's fine.
0: This might be a candidate for the U tried award, which we're bringing Ooh. back, of course, the BVG You tried award.
1: Oh, it's, it's been back. a minute, Mike. Yeah, you brought yeah. up you brought up Brian Van Gorder, and <laughs> I'd be remiss not to mention him once again in
0: this podcast.
1: We we are now candidates for the Utride Award. And, by the way, if you've got opinions on who should win that, including us, please send them in, at basketballconferencepodcast.gmail.com. Um, Mike, so that sets us up with the quarterback situations, both sides of the conference. We still need to come back and maybe recap ACC media days a little bit, and there's maybe a couple of, like, semi-relevant topics to go along with that that we're going to talk about here sometime in the next week or so. Um, so stay tuned for that. Um Otherwise, do you have anything else that you want to go over in this podcast?
0: I think I'm all set, Joey. I think.
1: I think I am as well. I'm also tired of listening to the echo of my voice in this room, so hopefully the listeners aren't. But in any case, um, yeah, no, appreciate you guys listening. This has been fun. Uh, It's been cool kind of looking at what should be a pretty chaotic coastal division in terms of quarterback play and therefore just overall team situations. Um, if you guys have thoughts on this, if you want to like reach out and debate us on our thoughts, again, me thanking Virginia Tech's number four in the Coastal, bring it on. Uh, we're on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel ACC. And together we're at BC Podcast ACC. As I've mentioned a couple times, you can also send us an email to the longest email address, no demand basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Good stuff. Ooh, that felt good. Um, Like we said last time, if you are the first person to email us after this podcast goes live, we will answer your question on the next podcast. It depends on when we record it. We might get to it the following one. But we're going to start doing this. Don't care what the question is. We're going to answer it. For the first one, we'll get it.
0: Hey, Joey, question. Why do you hate Wake Forest
1: so much? That's a bad question, Mike. You know this is the number one Wake Forest podcast on the internet. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, we do what we can. No, we do love Wake Forest. We just... Inadvertently tried to kick him out of the conference. We'll talk about that later. Um, Mike, where else can they find us? We're on Facebook, right? We are on
0: Facebook. Uh, Facebook.com slash basketball conference podcast, I believe.
1: Facebook.com slash basketball conference, or you can search basketball conference podcast. There we go.
0: Just do that. Do the second thing. Because I don't even know what the name of the page is.
1: Uh, yeah. Well,. We would appreciate your likes if uh, if you got them for us. So please like the page if you got it. Um, send us comments, you know, likes, reviews, shares, all those cool things. You can find us on iTunes, find us on Google Play, uh, SoundCloud. I mentioned last time I'm looking into Spotify. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I don't know what Spotify's doing with their whole podcast thing, but we'll get back on that.
0: We'll research that.
1: Yeah, and we'll we'll report back and we'll see how that goes. Maybe maybe not. Who knows? Um, Mike, anything else before we get out of here?
0: I think I'm all set, buddy.
1: All right, so until we uh, talk next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys for listening. Go ACC!